I know it sounds like false humility, but I just cannot believe on Sunday morning that you normal, ordinary people would get up and, and go through all the trouble to come here to listen to anything that I might have to say. It's just amazing. He could sit at the pulpit and make it feel like he was just in his living room with a bunch of friends, just telling stories, but in a way that he would be taking these complex biblical truths and communicating them in such a way that a first grader could understand. It was just so natural, just a conversation. Like every lesson, because it was so natural, I felt like every lesson was like a light bulb moment. Anytime I had a question about a spiritual truth, I could come to him anytime throughout the week. And he always made me feel like I was giving him a gift just by asking. Welcome to the Timeless Gospel Podcast. I'm your host, Faith Ann, and Larry Horton was my dad. The deepest connection I had with my dad was through his teaching of the gospel. My dad communicated grace more deeply and simply than most. These sermons came to be preserved through my dear Aunt Shirley, who, in the early 80s, requested that my dad's sermons be recorded on cassette tapes and mailed to her so that she could be edified from five states away. When Larry died and went home to be with the Lord in 2019, my Aunt Shirley came to the funeral and brought with her the very sermons this podcast was created to showcase. The remaining sermons were preached in the early 2000s at the church he pastored until he died. His children's prayer is that you will come to Christ through these sermons, or if you already are a Christian, be edified and comforted as so many were during his life. In the third episode of the Timeless Gospel podcast, Larry is, continues his preaching in Romans 1, and this episode he covers verses 7 through 15. When the sermon finishes, you'll hear from me again, just me this time, and I'm going to talk about Larry's phrase that he quotes from Paul, obedience to the faith among all nations. Stick around, listen to Larry, and then you get to listen to me. Not difficult passages, but, but passages that need some explaining. Uh, and there are many, it's a, almost a crime to just go through them without giving a, a full explanation. And I uh, I violated that last week. Where I came out is true. Everything I said last week is true concerning this verse. But I'd like to just give you just a little bit more explanation on it. Verse 5 says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. Several things. First, you have to receive grace before you can have obedience to, to faith. We have catchwords, and we have words that really affect us in our vocabulary. Uh, different people have, have different uh, opinions of different words, and they, and they come up because of our background or, or whatever. Uh, they give us a hard time. And, and this word obedience uh, is a quite, if we're all uh, truthful with one another, it's, it's a negative word. It's a bad word. Uh, we've been raised from childhood to be obedient. Uh, we get in trouble at school because we're not obedient. And on and on, you know, uh, wives be obedient. And, and so this, this whole word of obedience is kind of a negative word. And it shouldn't be. Paul is putting this word obedience with faith. Point is, Paul is not saying, and he's going to, we're going to see this very clearly uh, many, 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 many Sundays uh, over the next year or two. He's not talking about obedience to the law of God. He's not talking about obedience to the, to the uh, Old Testament uh, law. Neither is he talking about obedience even to the New Testament precepts. 
he's talking here about obedience to faith. And my point last week, and it, it, I hope I can get this through to you, is that you cannot really separate obedience from faith. But we don't run to the scriptures and find out what we've got to do so that we can be obedient. Obedience and faith is, is the same, it's the same word. Uh, if we could just disregard our past understanding of what the word obedience means and put it as Paul has here with faith, then it's a natural thing. It's one thing for our children to be obedient to us because we are bigger than they are. Because we can we can demand that they do a certain thing, and if they don't do it, we'll spank them. If we don't do it, we'll take their privileges away from them, whatever it may be. That's one form of obedience, and that's kind of what we all have in our mind. But but it would be quite something else for our children to be obedient because of their respect to us, because they know of our wisdom, because they want to do what we want them to do. So Paul is, is saying here that that this grace that God gives us brings about obedience to faith, which is simply that we will want to walk the way the revealed will of God is, but it will be one of, of wanting to. God will make us willing in the day of his power. Uh, it's not it's not trying to be obedient because we're supposed to. It's that it's all wrapped up together and we want to walk correctly. But that's all. It's just a, a matter of being uh, born again. It's a matter of, of being a new creature in Christ. It's a matter of, of now having the mind of Christ and the will of Christ and, and the spirit of Christ. And we're going to walk in that manner. And it's it's no no trying to, to, to trying hard or we'll see that in Romans 7. The, the, the Charlie Brown's philosophy of the Christian life. I can do it if I try. We'll see that that's uh, totally wrong in Romans 7. But it's simply a matter of of being separated, of being in that new horizon, we're new creatures, and we just walk in a different way. Reading from verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit, in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. Always in my prayers, making requests, perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you in order that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you, while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. And I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been, been prevented this, thus far in order that I might obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. Thus, for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Okay. Verse 8, first I thank God through Jesus Christ for you all because of your faith. Faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. This was the whole Roman Empire. This was the, the, the then known world. I have to take this literally. I find no reason to, uh, to not take it literally. It was uh, that the, the little church in Rome was known for its faith. Where it got this faith, uh, we know it did not come from any of the apostles. It did not come from Paul. Uh, it's a mystery as to how the church was formed, but we do know that it was formed. And it wasn't known for its eloquent preachers. It was not known for its organs. It was not known for its music was not known for its scholastic ability or its schools, seminaries. It was known for its faith. And it was known without 
radio, TV, ships, uh, transatlantic ships anyway, airplanes. But God, because of the faith of the church in Rome, I, it's not quite right. God gave the faith of the church in Rome, and then it, God saw to it that it affected the whole world. It was the faith in this little church at Rome that had an effect on the whole world. We know Thessalonians, uh, Paul says much the same thing. How much different the, the emphasis is here, uh, emphasis on faith. Here's a church that has faith, it's a church that, that loves the Lord, a church that, uh, uh, this matter, rather than a church that is feeding the quarry or a church that's known for, for its great cantatas at Christmas time, whatever it may be. No church, nobody knows how it got started. Nobody knows who the leader was. But it was known for its faith. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. I was attending the church in uh, Southern California for a couple of years as a non-believer that was known for its organ. Had the biggest organ in the world. And lots and lots of people came to this church. It was a huge church. I think it had 15,000 members or something. Uh, came to this church just to see the organ. They had two full-time paid orchids that were graduates of, 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 of music schools that could really play them. And it, it, the, the church was kind of built around this organ. It was a really neat deal. But but there were people that would come just to see the organ. And we know uh, of stories of people going to church just to see the preacher. These famous preachers that are raised up. People go just to hear them. Uh, here at the little church in Rome was going for its faith. I'm reminded of a, a story. Two Texans went over to England and uh, they wanted to, to visit some of these famous churches and famous preachers over there. So they went to this one church in the morning and uh, they walked out and they said, boy, that guy was a great preacher. And so that evening they went to, to Charles Spurgeon's church and they said, boy, that Christ that Spurgeon preached was great. Big difference there. Okay. Verse 9, for God, whom I serve in my spirit, we serve God in the spirit. We do not serve God in the soul. And, and we, do not, we do not serve God by our, our soulish properties. We sing songs. We get all lathered up. We get all emotional. And, and we're not serving God. The only, the only way that we serve God is in our spirits. Well, that triggers the spirit to work. You you have no you have no control over that. Let, let me draw it for you. Uh, this is what most people perceive to be lost. I get out. I'm, I want to go to Oklahoma City, and I get out on the freeway and I start norming. And I look up and I think, well, this isn't the way to Oklahoma City. I need to turn around. Again, I need to turn around. Doing about face. I need to turn around and go to Oklahoma City. And I do that. But that's how they conceive of a, a lost man going to hell, repenting, turning around, and going to Oklahoma City. But the point being is, it, it, I never was lost. I was going the wrong way, but I knew where Oklahoma City was. And I know how to get to Oklahoma City. And so everybody in the world today is preaching, turn to Jesus and be saved. And and, it, and you turn to Jesus through your through the 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 mechanics of your own free will. Just turn your life over to Christ and you can be saved. That's what everybody understands in America. So no one's lost. They know where heaven is. 
they're on their way to hell, but they know how to get to heaven, and that's by receiving Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And that is not correct. The, the, the gospel has been perverted, and the preaching has been, been perverted by the preachers of the day. They don't see, if I didn't know where Oklahoma City was, and I was out in Choctaw somewhere, and I had no idea where Oklahoma City was, then I'd be lost. So when, when sinners are described in Scripture as lost, they mean exactly that. They are totally lost. They're dead. They're without Christ. They're without hope. They're lost. And the only way that they can be saved is by God doing the work of grace in their lives. The means that he uses is the clinching of the word. There's never been a person in the universe ever saved, including the Apostle Paul. We're going to see that next week. There's never been a person saved in the entire history of the world without the word of God. Not going to happen. And if you want to put an experience on some kind of experience somebody had somewhere, uh, no. So getting back to your question, Penny, the means of grace, the means that God uses is Actually, the Holy Spirit is not a means, and he is God. But it's the, 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 the understanding of the Word of God. And you cannot understand the Word of God if you do not read the Word of God. I, I give you that. I, I know that. But this is not, we're not puppets. The sovereignty of God does not make puppets out of us. It, the sovereignty of God, we do not believe in fatalism, and, and, and I don't believe there's such a word as fate. They've got it in our dictionaries, but they're trying to describe a word that does not exist. There is no such word as fate. We are controlled by God, by a loving Heavenly Father who's working all things at the counsel of His own will. And so when we get into the Word, uh, that, that's where God has brought us by the counsel of His own will to teach us. So we're taught. But just because we're in the Word doesn't mean that we're learning anything. God's got to teach us. Okay. So Paul was serving God, Spirit. Preaching the gospel of his son. Here we are again, back to Romans 1. The gospel is the gospel of God and it is concerning his son. It was God whom we sinned against. It was God found a way, uh, and I shouldn't use the word found, but there, there, there's a way in which God brought about the good news that Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for sinners. Christ died for his sheep. Christ died for his church. Christ died for his friends. That's to a sinner, if, you, if I could ever find a sinner, I'd lead that man to Christ just that quick. That woman, whoever, I, just that quick. My problem is I can't find a sinner. But if I could, I've got some great news for him. Most people are giving them real good advice. But I don't give good advice. I give good news. Christ died for you. My problem is I can't find a sinner. Everybody's going to heaven. Everybody's on the way. And if they're not on the way, they know they can, they, they can get on the way. Anytime they want. But if I could find some old boy that was lost, he's not going to be lost for two seconds because I, I'm a lady of the Lord just that quick because Christ came and died for him. It says so in the scriptures. He died for sinners. Paul served God in the spirit by the preaching of the gospel of his son. It's also many, many different ways we can talk about it, talk about gospel of peace. But the one I like the best. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Discussing what is the glory of God. Yeah, what is the glory of God in your opinion? God's holiness is his glory. I looked it up and admired, uh, worshipped. Doesn't glory, though, also have to do, uh, at least a little bit of the word has to do with light, with splendor. It, it definitely has, that has part to do with it. 
uh, glorify. We know what worship means, don't we? What does worship mean? Recognizing God's worth. We went through this one Sunday. Recognizing God's worth. You, yeah. The old time of days, it say you worship. Worship means to recognize your worthiness. It's too hard to say worship. So they start saying you're worshiped. When you worship someone or something, you're recognizing who they are. And so as we worship God, we, we are recognizing who God is. But but here it talks about we have something. We have the gospel. Paul had it. I feel that I've got it as the gospel of the glory of God. The glory is the attributes of God. The glory, to some degree, is splendor. Show you a scriptural definition of the word glory. It may not be the exact definition, but at least it's it, it, it's in the Bible. I'll put it that way. Let's turn to Exodus. I'll tell you what I've got to do. I've got to get me a new Bible. My Bible is just so marked up I can't read it. Verse 18 of 33. Verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken. For you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, I pray thee, show me thy glory. That seems kind of odd that Moses would say that. Uh, Moses was the one whom God gave the law to. Moses was face to face, burning bush. Uh, he, saw the, he saw the writing of God in the Ten Commandments, written by the finger of God. Moses had seen the, uh, the plagues of Egypt. He had seen the, the water turn to, to blood. He had seen the, uh, the death angel come through and kill the firstborn. He had seen the, the Red Sea part. Moses had seen all these miraculous things of God, but Moses was not satisfied. He got to pray thee, show me thy glory. And God said, and, I, and he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. That's the glory of God. His goodness. And will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. That's his, that's his glory. My goodness in my name. My goodness in who I am. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. That is the glory of God. Found in Romans chapter 9. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. We have a salvation. We have a salvation because of the grace, graciousness and the mercifulness of God Almighty. You're saved. You've been saved by the glory of God. What is the glory of God? What is the gospel of the glory of God? It is that I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. So if you want to preach the gospel of the glory of God, you've got to preach that. doesn't have to say the first thing in here about free will. It doesn't say the first thing in here about you can do it if you want to. What it does say is I am in possession of the gospel of the glory of God. And that is that God will be merciful to whom he will and he will be gracious to whom he will. So it does not matter who wills and who runs, but it's on God who shows mercy. Okay, back to our, back to our text, chapter uh, Romans. Always in my prayers and my time. It's funny. Last week I had too much time. This week I don't have enough time. Did we get started late? I'd like to get through this if I could. Uh, 
we're still in the introduction. We haven't gotten into any main points yet. We're kind of skipping around a little bit. We talked just briefly about obedience and faith. Then we talked about the fact that the church, church's faith has been proclaimed throughout the whole world. Now we see that Paul is, is serving God in the spirit. And he's preaching the gospel of the glory of God. And verse 10 says, always in my prayers, making requests, if per, perhaps not last by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. Did that happen? Paul's praying. The apostle Paul is praying that he can come to Rome. He's been wanting to go to Rome ever since Acts 9. Fact is, he didn't go. Wanted to, he wanted to, he wanted to, he never could go. Reading on, for I long to see you in order that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. And I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented thus far. Now, Paul wanted to go to Rome and preach the gospel and to establish the saints in the church. That's a real, real, real good thing to do. We'll back up now in, in verse 10. And he prayed about it. And I'm sure he didn't just offer up some little prayer. I'm sure he, he really prayed about God leading him to Rome, and yet God never did. So Paul's prayers certainly was not the cause of him, of, of moving God to take him to Rome. We're not in marble-changing business with God. We do not coerce sovereign God, who knows the end from the beginning because he's planned the end from the beginning, to, to change that whole plan because I prayed. Now, well then, prayer is worthless. No, prayer is not worthless at all. But prayer changes things. No, prayer doesn't change things. Not one thing does prayer change. God has a plan and a purpose in this, in this world, and it's been carried out from the foundations of the world, the foundations of the world. God's never come up with a new plan. God's never had a new thought. God's never made a decision. If God would have ever made a decision, that means at one time he would have been undecided, therefore being imperfect. God has got the plan, and the plan's going to go through history. And what you and I need to do is get in that plan. And how do we get in at that plan? It's by prayer. Let me give you an illustration. Maybe you can understand. We do not pray to God to get God to change his mind about anything. It's not going to ever happen. Paul, the great apostle Paul, prayed. And his prayers were not answered because he did not get to go to Rome. Now, he finally got to go to Rome, but he didn't get to go the way he wanted to. <laughs> he didn't get to go to Rome, uh, you know, and, and help the saints during the church uh, through his apost apostolic ministry. He went by the way of shipwreck and by way of chains. And he ended up in a little house down there that he couldn't get out of. And he had to pay rent on. And anything that he had to do, they had to come to him. He couldn't go to them. Totally, totally different from what Paul wanted. And yet, here's a man that you've heard me brag on lots of times uh, to my, that I shouldn't. I know it's all of God, but I can't help but admire this, this terrific man of God. And, and to that degree that I do is the degree that I, that I fail. But nevertheless, uh, here's this great apostle praying to go to Rome and God saying, no, can't go. Let's say that you love the violin. And you like to play whether you like to play violin music, I'm sorry, you like to hear violin music. 
love violin music. In the Philharmonic Orchestra of Philadelphia, comes on Sunday afternoon at two o'clock and they are playing violin classical music. Turn it on and here it comes. You decide, I want to play that music. I want to play with the Philharmonic. I want, I want to be sanctified. I want to be holy. I want to play that music. So you go out and you buy you a violin and you come back and you buy you a stand and you put all the music on the stand. And now here comes the Philharmonic and they're playing. Uh, they're playing a song. I don't even know, no one well enough to even name the song, but World 1812. Uh, okay, they're playing this song and, and, and you're their chair and you're, and, and you're trying to play along with them, but you don't know how very well and, and, and your string breaks. Nothing you do stops the Philharmonic from playing their song. They continue the music for one hour, just straight through. But you're, you're still in there giving it your all. You're, you're trying, you know, you're in there, you know, trying to figure out this music. But nothing you can do is going to stop that program from coming exactly the way it's going to come. What you can do to enjoy it more, to experience the, well, the beauty of it more, is learn more how to play the violin. Now they come to a song, and now you're playing it. You were playing uh, Old McDonald's Farm, and there was nothing but frustration in your life. There's nothing but frustration. You're trying to play Old McDonald's farm. Lord, let me go to Rome. Let me go to Rome. <clears throat> the Philharmonic is playing uh, the Overture of 1812. And so there's nothing but frustration in your life. But as you, as you grow, as you learn more about the violin, take lessons, whatever, and you learn more and more about it, now you can enter into that, that bliss. You can enter into that, that opposite of frustration. Whatever that might be. Here comes the music, and you're sitting there right there. Every now and then you still go wrong. Every now and then a string breaks. You've got to go fix the string. You're no, you're no longer in fellowship. I'm sorry. No longer in in uh, uh, harmony with the Philharmonic. Get you, you finally get your string fixed, and now you're right back there. That is a perfect picture of prayer. That is a perfect picture of prayer. Yes, ma'am. Oh, okay. Uh, God has a plan. God is sovereign. And we need to learn who God is as believers. We need to, we need to search the scriptures. We need to learn who he is. That we might further get more involved in his plan. And it's at, to the degree that we do not enter into it, it's to the degree that we, we live frustrated lives. I don't pray that God would change anything. I pray so that I can know more about God. He and I become, become kind of uh, uh, friends. We, we kind of, I kind of get to know him a little bit. And, and, and I, I experience this, uh, this understanding that, that now I can pray a little bit differently and boom, my prayers are being answered. But all of a sudden, I'm no longer praying for myself. I'm praying for others. Or I'm doing this or I'm doing that. Lord, please, let me pray for all Sunday. It doesn't happen. But then I start praying something a little bit different, and, and, it, and it works out. And, and it's, I start to enjoy myself as I go to God, and I'm like, how are we going to handle this, God? How's this going to work? And then, you know, I can, I can, you, you follow? It's not, it's not sitting down and, and praying for this, 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 and this, and God to change this, this, and this. I'm not saying it's wrong to seek God to, uh, to enter into the, the hope 
that God will change the situation. Nothing's hopeless because we've got God on our side. Nothing's hopeless. He may do just the very thing you're asking. But because you asked, it's not why he did it. That, that's what I'm trying to say. But he allowed you by his grace to enter into that through the means of prayer, means of grace of prayer, that you could enjoy that very thing. It may be that we go out here tomorrow and win someone to the Lord, out of somewhere. Well, that's real joyful. God had that planned all along, didn't he? God was going to save that person at that moment uh, from the foundation of the world. But wasn't it nice that he used you? That's what I'm saying. So we can pray. I've known people that have prayed for years that God would change the situation and clearly which wasn't going to do it. But they refused to give up on that prayer. They thought they were doing good and all they were doing was frustrating themselves. Find out what God is doing. Find out what God is doing in the world and in other people's lives, in your life, whatever it may be. And then and then get in tune with that. Then prayer becomes fun. It's not, not just a guessing game. I mean, it, 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 there's a maturity there that, that, that grows. Another illustration, I will not turn to it now. God told the prophet, I'm gonna, I'm gonna drive the land. I'm gonna drive the land for so long. And there wasn't any power on earth that changed it. God says, at a certain day, at a certain time, I'm gonna bring rain to the land. So the prophet was looking for, for the day when God would bring rain to the land. And on that very day, God told the prophet to pray that the rain would come. Prophet prayed and the rain came. Now we can debate this back and forth because it, it thinks they're opposite, they're both true. If the prophet would not have prayed, would have the rain came? The answer is no. And yet, God had determined from the foundation of the world to bring rain on that day. All that says is that God is making us willing in the day of his power. God is God is bringing about his own purpose, and he's allowing us, you and I, we're not robots. He's allowing us to take part in this program. Paul was praying that he would go to Rome. Paul continued to pray the prayer that he was going to Rome, but Paul was not frustrated in the fact that he, he couldn't, because God was not answering his prayer, because Paul understood that, that, that God has his purpose. Continue to pray. He's praying for the church in Rome, which is the will of God, and praying that, that, that somehow he would get to Rome. And finally got and the last thing that we will talk about today is the fact that Paul wanted to go to help those people in Rome, but more, not more importantly, but the way I see it, the thing that, that, that grasped me here is that he wanted help from those people. He wanted his faith strengthened by them. And believe me, it, it works both ways. It really works both ways. I can't tell you how many times I've been encouraged by people whom I've talked. When, it, when the light goes on or whatever, you know, you just get so encouraged. So now, uh, having, to, having to quit and having to go on to get into the doctrinal part of this, this book, let's, uh, let's read very hurriedly verses 11 through 15. For I long to see you in order that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you, while among you, each of us, by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I plan to come to you and have been prevented, prevented thus far, in order that I might obtain some fruit among you, among you Gentiles. For Paul is under obligation both to Greek and barbarians, both the wise and the foolish. Thus, for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you. Paul is willing to come and pay his debt under obligation to preach the gospel, folks, in Rome. 
Mark, uh, Matthew Henry said that the gospel of the Romans has been turned into a gospel against the Romans. What a shame it is in our day that here comes Apostle Paul, who shipwrecked through uh, three days in the deep, through all these trials, comes to pay his debt to you and I. And we slam our door in his face. We will not listen to what Paul has to say for the Romans. What a shame that is. Let's pray. Well, after listening to Larry's sermon in Romans 1, verses 7 through 15, a couple of things struck me, and I wanted to uh, address what he talked about in the very beginning of his sermon. He wanted to reiterate something that he had gone over the previous week. And in verse 5 of Romans 1, it says, By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. He talks about receiving grace first. And that's always what he talked about, grace first. And I wanted to just mention that sometimes we want non-believers to act like believers, and then we sit in judgment on them when they don't act like believers. This is a mistake, because a believer or a non-believer can't act like a believer. Um, he has no ability to do so. I was at a church many years ago, and we had a, a dear man who uh, attended the church. This is um, in my adult life. And he was out front, I think church was about to start, and a young lady dressed in a um, Taco Bell uniform walked by, was on her way to work, and he called to her and he said, why don't you come to church? And I just thought it was so strange because why would she stop what she was doing to come to church? Why would she all of a sudden desire that? She can't desire that. For all we knew, she wasn't saved. So she's not going to just stop because somebody comes up to her and says, come to church and then make that moral decision that it would be better for her to be in church than not. So he was a very dear man and um, he was a Christian and, and we loved him. Um, but we just need to be careful about expecting non-believers to have the desires that a believer would have. Because without the Lord in our lives, without the Lord giving us that grace, we don't have that. None of us do. And Larry would often say, but for the grace of God, I'd be living under a bridge. I mean, he told me that my whole life. But for the grace of God, I'd be living under a bridge. And I, uh, those words stuck with me in, in my life. But for the grace of God, I'd be living under a bridge. And then the next thing that he talked about was this obedience. And he made a distinction between the kind of obedience where there's punishment involved, there's consequences and judgment, and the kind of obedience that God calls us to, um, the obedience to faith. And combining those two words, obedience and faith, giving them both the same meaning. And I just kind of thought of an analogy that would might be helpful for this as well. So imagine as we are getting closer to Thanksgiving, imagine you're, you're about 12 and you are going to go to your grandma's house for Thanksgiving. And because you're 12, you're certainly not expected. There's no stress on your shoulders to get this meal from the kitchen to the table. You're old enough to appreciate the work that goes into preparing a Thanksgiving dinner. You're old enough to appreciate the taste of the food, but you're, you're in that great spot where it's not all on you to make the food. So you're at your grandmother's house or whoever in your life this this person is that is the mover and shaker of Thanksgiving dinner. And maybe you're talking to your cousins or your grandpa's asking you how school going. And then you you hear something and you know this is a very wonderful sound. You hear the grandmother say, come, come eat. Now that's a command. It's a command to come and eat. But oh, what a command it is you know that 
that what's waiting for you at that table is nothing but good. You know the rolls are warm and the butter is soft and the turkey is flavored just right and the pumpkin pie is delicious. You know all of that and you get to participate in that. The command is there, but it's but it's the willingness to come to the table because you understand what's waiting for you that causes you to obey. You hear the command and you stop whatever you're doing and your legs and your feet move you towards that table. And for the Christian, this is the kind of obedience that the Lord is talking about, that Paul talks about. There isn't any drudgery associated with obedience because it's it's a believing that whatever that command is, is for our good and is wise. Just in the same way that everyone in the home at Thanksgiving, when that call comes, come and eat. Everyone believes, you believe that there's nothing but good waiting for you. If you didn't believe that, you wouldn't stop what you were doing. You wouldn't come and you wouldn't sit and you wouldn't eat. Larry talked about one form of, of obedience is walking in the revealed will of God. And that's what all of our, uh, all of those New Testament commandments call us to believe and then to act. But believing is always first. And that's another reason why in all of Paul's letters, the majority of those letters tell the Christian who we are in Christ before he tells us what we should do, what we get to do. It's because of who you are. It's because you are a Christian. It's because you are righteous. Therefore, act this way. So love one another. Pray for one another. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. All of these New Testament commandments are the grandmother saying, come and eat. And what when the grandmother calls the family to come and eat, the glory is to that grandmother. The fact that everyone in the house believes that there is going to be something good at the table brings glory to the grandmother. And that's what our faith does as well. It brings glory to our Heavenly Father because we know that when he says, pray for one another, pray without ceasing, or any of the, the myriad of commands that we find waiting for us, we know that it is wise for us to do them. It's wise for us to participate. And we also know that we are not doing that for a grade. Wouldn't it be silly if grandmother at the end of the meal gave everybody a report card on how well, how well they ate the Thanksgiving meal? That's absurd. And we don't have a report card with our Heavenly Father either. We want to. We want to pray for one another. We want to do these things. I would humbly ask you to consider that if the teaching that you're under or as a Christian is anything other than a grandmother calling you to Thanksgiving, if there's a performance-based element to the laws of God in the New Testament and, and you're having to sit under that and you're having to be made to feel like you're getting a grade, then consider reading Romans again and consider what the Lord has in store for us. And it is not a life of doing and being graded or doing and being in and out of fellowship with him. I'll leave you with the words of Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And then I found a public domain recording of this hymn. It was recorded on a record player back in 1922. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace, streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise, teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above, praise the mount I'm fixed upon it, mount of God's unchanging love. 
Thank you for listening to the Timeless Gospel Podcast.